0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to the latest edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me on the other end of the line is my man, my co-host, Curtis. Uh, now guys, obviously last week we had a huge game. We all know that Notre Dame game was a huge game for this program and had a lot of attention on it. But that's not so much the case this week. We've got Sanford coming into town, and we know that no one wants to hear us break down the Sanford Bulldogs. With all due respect to them, I don't want to disrespect anybody, and, and I'm going to knock on wood here real quick. You guys know I'm superstitious, uh, but look, no one wants—we don't think, at least, anyone wants to hear us break them down. And if you do, then let us know. We can see what we can work out for you guys, but we don't think that's the case. So what we figured we'd do today is we'd go ahead uh, with a mailbag episode because we know you guys have a lot to say, especially after the Notre Dame game, a lot of questions to ask. Because we've actually seen some live football now, and we want to give you guys a chance to have your say and kind of get directly to your questions. We plan on doing this weekly once we get a little bit uh, – start, really starting next week, we have a little mailbag show so you guys can ask questions and throw your comments out there from the previous week's game, maybe ask questions about the game coming up. Uh, but this week, it's tough for us to do that because you know we obviously had the Irma situation, the repercussions there, the after effects, people losing power. Now, Kurt, you just got powered back like 12 o'clock today, right, on Wednesday? Yeah. Yes, I mean, we know a lot of people are in that situation, so it's hard for us to record anything earlier in the week, but uh, we figured today we would just go ahead and do that mailbag episode. Uh, It kind of just makes sense right now. No one's to hear us right now in Sanford, and I know you guys have a lot to ask, a lot to say, a lot to comment on, so we figured we'd go ahead and roll with the mailbag today. But before we move in that direction, we do want to very quickly remind you that you can follow us on Twitter, at glory underscore UGA. can. Uh, email us if that's a little easier for you guys, and that's gloryuga podcast at gmail You can also check us out on the Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. Uh It's always great, guys, and we really, we really do mean it. It's always great to get your thoughts on the show and the team. So feel free, seriously, to hit us up anytime. We respect all of your opinions. Doesn't mean we're necessarily going to agree, but we definitely respect your opinions and we try to be respectful. And we also want to do some interactive stuff with you guys. We try to do uh, listener mailbags and things of that like uh, things like that on the show. So definitely don't be shy. Feel free to share your thoughts. We really do welcome the interaction. And also just a quick reminder, especially for our newer listeners, that you can listen to the show on a number of different podcasting platforms. You know, you got the, the usual suspects: iTunes, SoundCloud, the Stitcher, the TuneIn apps. And you can also check us out on Dog Sports Radio. So just take your pick there based on what really works best for you. And uh, on top of that, if you get a free second or two, I know time is precious these days, but if you get a free second or two, it would be awesome if you would subscribe to, review, uh, rate, and or share the show on social media. That would definitely be uh, great for us. We really would appreciate that. But all right, let's go ahead, Kurt, and let's move into the mailbag. We want to make sure we get a chance to get to all the questions that were sent in. And just a quick disclaimer here before we get started. We get a lot of questions, a lot of great questions. We always do. You guys always kill it with the mailbags. We love to to hear your thoughts and and answer as many of your questions as we possibly can. Make sure we're giving you guys exactly what you want. Uh, But there are a lot of people who send in questions that were very similar or in some cases almost identical. So um, if there's a question that we read and we don't throw your name out with it but it sounds like the exact same question you asked, we're not trying to hate on you, I promise. We just tried to streamline it as much as possible so we get to as many questions as we could. If you send in a question, we tried to, if you, like, if you send in more than one question, there were quite a few who did send in more than one question, which is awesome. We appreciate that and glad to answer all of them. Uh, we, but if you send in more than one, we tried to make sure uh, we listed at least one specific question you asked. But if there was something else that you asked that might have been similar to another question from another listener, we tried to give credit maybe to that listener so everyone can get a chance to have a direct question answered. So I just want to give everyone a heads up on that. And we're also going to do this a little bit different than what we've done in the past our mailbag shows. Typically, I'll read the question and Curtis will answer it and then I'll answer it. Today, it's similar but a little bit different. I'm going to read the question, give my quick take on it, and then I'm, Curtis is going to tell me whether he's buying or selling what I had to say. So he has a chance to kind of just destroy my soul if he wants, which I'm sure he'll take advantage of. All right, Kurt, you ready, man? Yeah. Let's do this. All right, first question is Russell from Twitter. And Russell's talking about the true freshman offensive linemen who have not seen as much playing time as some may have thought they would have at this point. And Russell asks, I have heard since signing day how SEC-ready Isaiah Wilson and Natori Johnson were. Are they now set to register, or do you see them contributing later? It's a good question, man. It's a very fair question. Uh, And I think a lot of this has to do with uh, the – unfair expectations that we all, including myself, that we all place on some of these high-profile recruits. Guys like Jacob Eason from last year, he certainly fell victim to that. Uh, but Isaiah Wilson definitely, I believe, was one of those guys, similar to Eason, who everyone, he was such a megastar recruit that everyone thought he was going to come in and start from day one. Not just start from day one, but be a dominating force from day one. Now, Torrey Johnson, not quite as much, but let's not forget, it. Torrey Johnson was a highly valued and highly rated recruit himself. Um, one of the higher, I think, probably was the highest rated offensive line we had before Wilson. Jumped on board, so uh, I think that's something you have to keep in mind here. And you're right; there are a lot of people saying, since signed it, even before signed it, that, that both those guys, specifically Isaiah Wilson, were fit, were definitely ready to start or contribute day one the SEC. And I, but I, I think you have to delineate here and differentiate between. Being physically ready to play and being mentally ready to play. From a purely physical standpoint, yes. I think Wilson, and maybe to a little bit of a lesser degree, but also to some degree, and Torrey Johnson were physically ready to step in and play in the SEC. I think if if we had to put an Isaiah Wilson against Mississippi State from a physical standpoint, I think he could hold his own, no doubt about it. That guy's just a monster. He's a beast. But that's only part of the deal. You also have to use proper technique, hand placement, learn how to play with leverage, understand... How defenses try to attack offensive lines, understand pass protection, and just simply really an understanding of how to play the position. Clearly, all of those areas, Wilson and Johnson need some more. At least our coaches think they do. So, from my perspective, sitting here right now, to get to your specific question, are those guys, Wilson and Johnson, set to redshirt, or could they possibly be contributing later? Sure, there's an outside chance they could be they could contribute at some point down the year, maybe Wilson more so than Johnson. Uh, but look, those guys right now, at least according to the depth chart, they're not even in the too deep right now. So sure, they could get in there and play against Sanford. That might be the only the last chance to have like uh, some mop up duty work, uh, unless we just start to blow the doors off somebody in the SEC. Um, so I, I, they, they could, in, could in, they could get in? Sorry, against Sanford. But is it really worth burning their red shirt at this point just for a couple of downs against Sanford? Because If they're not in the too deep right now, I don't see them making that big of a jump to where they're going to be ready to contribute on the offensive line in SEC play. Maybe. There's an outside chance. I'd never like to speak in absolute and say it can't happen. But if I had to pick right now, I would lean much more towards them redshirting because why would you waste the redshirt for a couple of snaps in the fourth quarter against Sanford? I, I just don't see it happening at this point. So, Kurt, are you buying or selling that?
1: I'm buying it, especially you know. I don't think there's if anyone was to play, it would be at Wilson. I don't see any need for Notori Johnson to even think about burning his redshirt. And, I mean,
0: and Justin it, Schaefer seems to be ahead of Notori Johnson at yeah, this and point. he didn't
1: even travel with the team Notre the Dame. You know, we don't know the reasoning for that, but either way, you know, I mean, it doesn't look like they really
0: needed him. Yeah, and Wilson did make the trip. I saw his his big self out there. Uh, but I mean, do you? Is he, is he? I mean, we don't know. We're not out there at practice every day. But do you really think he's close to being a contributor in SEC play at some point this season?
1: Um, I don't know if he's close, but I think if anyone was to make the jump to do it, it'd be him from the freshman. Yeah. right now.
0: yeah, outside of Thomas, of course. But yeah, the guys that yeah. haven't played much—Schaefer, Johnson, Wilson—and um, you could even throw Hayes in there. You know, you could throw Demarcus Hayes in there. Cause, I mean, no, he's not a true freshman. But he's a JUCO guy that people had high expectations for. He was just going to slide in as a starter left tackle. And I had—I expected that. You know, again, because. Why do you recruit Jukos? You recruit them with the expectation they're ready to play right away. Apparently, that's not the case with Hayes. Uh, yeah, I, th- I agree that Wilson's probably the guy that's the best chance. But if you look at the situation as it is right now, I don't, I don't think they're going to play because I don't know what. What do you gain from that? Unless you think that they're ready to seriously help you play significant downs in SEC play, why would you burn their redshirt just to get a couple of snaps? I don't, I don't know if it's worth it. Now, if you feel like Wilson makes a jump late in the year and you think you can really add something to your line and kind of push you to the top maybe on a championship run okay maybe but I don't know if it's yeah, reasonable I mean that's
1: maybe I mean look what we did last year we almost burned Kinley over one play yeah
0: with one play against Missouri I, actually I was pissed it Looked at at one point it looked like that might have cost him his red shirt fortunately we were able to appeal and and uh, allowed him to preserve his red shirt but I just don't know if that's something you want to do at this point now if he makes a huge job which he could do I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to do it but if he did do it maybe but I just don't think that's the more likely scenario here at this point. All right, next question. This is Brett from email. Appreciate it, Brett. Uh, And this is one of those questions I think we had multiple people ask. So I'm going to go with Brett here because this is the only one he sent in. So Brett says, that Terry Godwin catch was incredible, maybe the best I have seen from a Georgia player. Do you agree or are there any other catches made by Georgia players that you can compare to that one? a good question Brett um, obviously the, one, the first one that comes to mind because it's eerily similar to what Terry did in actually the same corner of the end zone not the same end zone but the same corner of the end zone and that's AJ Green's one handed catch at Colorado uh, which was also right in front of me I was literally I mean a couple rows in front just up there uh, right in front of that so I got to see that one firsthand. that was I mean that was unbelievable and AJ had been out for a while it was his, his big comeback game there and he, he put on a show obviously we screwed the pooch and lost that thank you Caleb King appreciate that man uh, but AJ played lights out like AJ always did, and that was one of the most. That's probably the most incredible catch I've seen in person because it was a little smoother than Terry's. T- I mean, Terry's. The, well, the degree of difficulty, like with Terry, like he basically stopped it with one hand and caught it against the shoulder pad, right? So the, the degree of difficulty there is impressive. The concentration, but AJ literally went up, caught it with one hand. There was no bobbling; he just pulled it down with one hand. To me, that's more impressive. That's just a personal thing for me. Another catch that stands out too for me is Chris Conley at Tennessee a couple years back. I want to say it was his junior year, maybe, where he was on the right side, the right corner of the end zone, and basically completely twisted around, contorted to his body, grabbed with the one hand, guys, got both feet in bounds. That was an incredible catch. You remember that one, Kurt? Was a yeah, couple the one years corner back. with
1: just his toes
0: in, yeah. just his toes in, one hand catch. That was that was an incredible catch too, man. Can of give you shades of why the NFL was high on him coming out of, or at least higher on him than some people thought they would be coming out of college? Uh, so, do you agree with that? Or was the ter- was the Godwin catch? More impressive than A.J. I would say the A.J. Green catch for me was probably a little bit more impressive. Terry was right there. I
1: would have to go with the A.J. catch just like what you said. He actually literally caught the ball with one hand. Right. I know Terry, he knows more or less he pinned it against his shoulder pad, Which is impressive in
0: its own right, but just snagging it it with one hand.
1: impressive in its own right, but it's the fact that he more or less pinned it to catch it where A.J. literally caught it and pulled it down with one
0: hand. I mean, that was, oh my God, it was so unbelievable. Oh my God. And number eleven, throwing the ball to him just like with Fromm. He had uh Aaron Murray early in his career throwing that pass. That's unbelievable, man. Just but they are eerily similar. They're very similar. I mean, like I said, same corner of the end zone, one handed. AJ was a little cleaner with just snagging it out of the air The one and hand. And I gotta
1: say, I'm pretty sure AJ's not a lefty and he caught that with his non dominant hand.
0: Ah, that's a great point. Terry caught it with his right. Yeah, Terry's yeah. right. He's Ta- yeah, Terry Don't caught it with man. the right. Yeah, that's that's another good point too there, man. Yeah, so I'm with you there, dude. I think A.J.'s was at least a slight bit more impressive than Terry's. Although, I mean, it's hard to pick between those two because they, they're they both incredible. And with uh, and then a runner-up option there, or I guess a second runner-up to Chris Conley at Tennessee. That was a beautiful catch, too. One of the most memorable receptions for me, although the catch itself wasn't great. It was basically the hitch route. Was the 2012 Florida game where, late in the game, Malcolm Mitchell runs a little... It's a little hitch route, a little curl. Takes it, spins, takes the ball the distance for a touchdown. I went absolute bananas in that game. That wasn't a great catch, but just a great, moment, a great all-around play, I guess. All right, number three here. Question number three is uh, from Ellis on Twitter. Definitely appreciate it, Ellis. Ellis asks, if you were Coach Kirby Smart, would you start Eason against Mississippi State or keep the flow of Jake Fromm? Interesting question, and obviously I know it's one that a lot of people have in their mind. I had a couple people throw a similar type question at us here. Uh, and to me, first off, you have to say, look, there's a lot of factors at play here because you have to think about, okay, you have to factor in Fromm's performance. You also have to factor in Eason's progress on his health, on the knee. So are we talking about a fully healthy Eason? Are we talking about a 75% Eason? Uh, are we talking about Fromm putting up huge numbers against uh, Sanford here? I it's, it's tough, but I'll say this. Unless Fromm is playing at an absolute, I'm dead serious, guys. unless he's playing at an all-American level to where it is 1,000% obvious to everyone that he is the guy, unless that happens, I think Eason has to be the guy when he gets fully healthy for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's, and I, I know, and look, you guys know I love Jay Fromm. I love Jay Fromm. He's my boy. But i just got to be real here. I want what's best for us right now, this season. And although I think Jay Fromm will get better and better and better with more time, and I think his numbers could have been a lot better than, than they ended up being against Notre Dame, which is a little bit of help. Well, he he did he was inaccurate at certain points, at certain throws, but that the Miko drop was big. He could, he could have had over 200 yards, two touchdowns, about 58, 59 percent completion percentage, which would have been, looked a lot better than 140 yard, 40 ish yards. But look, he's going to get better and better. But right now, although I think he knows far more than 50 percent of the playbook, like Tommy Tuberville threw out. Uh, in that first game when, when Fromm had to come into the game. I think he knows far more than that. The fact is, he's a true freshman. And Eason has been in the system for a full year more than that. I, I, you guys know I've been on record. I think Fromm is ahead right now of where Eason was this time last year. But that's not what you're looking at. You're looking at Eason as a sophomore versus Fromm as a freshman. I still think Eason has more command and more experience. He's just experienced more things out there on the football field, at least a like college football field, Than Jake Fromm has. If we can avoid it, I do not think you want to have to go through the growing pains that we went through with a true freshman last year. We invested so much time in Eason last year doing those things that Kirby and Chaney, I'm sure, and I know I don't want to, have to go through those those things again. I think Fromm's going to be great at some point, but he's a true freshman. There will be growing pains. We saw that in the first two games in certain situations, and I don't know if you want to go through that again. doesn't mean Eason's perfect. Eason will still make mistakes too. He's still a young guy. But I think Easton's the guy you want to go with if he's healthy, unless Fromm is playing at All-American level. There's also recruiting repercussions there. Uh, if, if Fromm ends up being the guy for the whole year, then you can kiss Justin Fields goodbye. And maybe that's fine. You just say, well, that's fine because Jake Fromm proved that he's the guy and he's going to be outstanding and he, we've got a winner and championship caliber quarterback if that happens. that's You can say that. That's true. But the fact is, we're going to be left with maybe one scholarship quarterback and, and once, if, In that scenario, if Eason would leave And you got Fields who decides to go elsewhere Then maybe we're left with scraps in the 18 class We're not going to get anybody that's really worth much of anything At this point, as a at the quarterback position If Fromm takes the job So I think, ideally Eason is going to come back fully healthy Fromm performs well enough, well enough for us to win um, But not well enough to Just completely claim the job And put a stranglehold around the job So if Eason is healthy For Mississippi State, that's a big if, we don't know There's, We're hopeful that's the case but if he's healthy for Mississippi State and he's cleared to go, I think I'd, I'd put him in there. Are you buying or selling, Kurt?
1: I'm buying it. First off, I have to say, you know, the Notre Dame game, we we really won in spite of our offense. I mean, there were times, like, where we get the Lorenzo Carter fumble at, at the, like, what, 40 or something, and we do nothing with it. I mean, yeah. our, we kind of won in spite of our offense for a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, the guy talks about the question he asked about continuity. Um, you know, continuity. Yeah, continuity. Um, the biggest thing is, well, we can't build any continuity with Easton if we don't get him back in there. And yep. the biggest thing is, like you said, you just have to see Fromm put up all American numbers to say he's the guy ahead of someone who's got a year of experience and the coaches trust more than him. And that's just not going to happen. I mean, he did, what, 160 yards against App State. And then gets replaced because we're up so much. Um, Notre Dame, like we said, it could have been better if he had some, uh, you know, some teammates make some plays also. But it's 140 yards. And then Stanford, we're not going to need him to throw for 400 yards to win. He'll be lucky to throw for about 150 to 200 because we'll probably rely on the run game and get him out of there. Try to get uh, Ramsey some um, more experience and more passes, like we kind of try to do in the first game. Yeah. And I so right there, I just don't think that that's going to be everything to show that he's the guy over someone with the who the coaches. Obviously, prefer um, at this point because of the experience and not want to go through the growing pains again. Yeah, and um, and I th- I think that's the main thing why. And I mean, if we're gonna get Easton. We don't want him to make his first start back at an away game in Tennessee. Yeah, if he's healthy bad, yeah. to go. I, I would rather him go and get it and at, at a home game. Can get back to um, things. And that's the biggest thing. I don't want him just you know coming out. Coming in cold on the road, I think that's really dangerous. No matter who you're playing, as long as, sure because in the SEC that's always
0: dangerous. Sure. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree with you. I, I think one big thing you want to take away from this is the last thing we need is a quarterback controversy. Now, again, if Fromm is performing at an All American type level, then there's no controversy because he's clearly the guy. But if he's not, you have to stick with Easton. You said this is our quarterback. Fromm was our back in the season. He's perform- he's done well enough for us to win games. Uh, while he's been in there, while Eason's been hurting and been healing. But when Eason's ready, Eason's the guy. Because you just And Kirby's been pretty steadfast with that, at least publicly. You have to have a guy. Uh, and you're, I know, there are situations, there, there is a president like Dak Prescott. Again, Dak Prescott took the job from Tony Romo in the NFL of the Cowboys last year because Dak Prescott performed at an all-pro level. And he was truly the guy. To say
1: there's certain things like you know I hate to say it, but if this was a quarterback like Fields, you may stay with him as a freshman because he offers things that the other guy doesn't, where Dak can run.
0: Right, and that, that's another good point. You also, and that's an, it's a different scenario because look, if it's if it was prolonged, let's say Eason's out for six to eight weeks, right, and Fromm has time to grow and develop, and then he starts putting up big numbers. Well, Eason's going to be out for maybe one to two more weeks, likely, right? So it's not like this is an extended period of time to where you can say, you know what, we're going to have to roll this guy, we're going to put everything into him. It's it's a little bit of a different scenario here. So by virtue of the fact that it's a shorter injury, or at least that's the prognosis at this point, I think once Eason's healthy, he's got to be the guy. You want to stay away from a quarterback controversy, if at all possible. And you always, as a coach, you always want to go with the guy who thinks you think gives you the best chance to win. But at this point, as Fromm shown you that he's 100%, unequivocally, the guy that gives us the best chance to win, I don't think he has, do you?
1: Um I mean he's like I said he's been serviceable but he hasn't shown that he he's the guy. I mean, I know everyone's really high on him. He's a great leader and things. He shows he has some great attributes that can make him be the guy, but I don't think at yeah. the moment he is the yeah, guy. Yeah,
0: I mean, th- he could. He could be the guy that gives the best chance to win down the road, but like I mean, right now I just don't think you can sit there and say based off what we've seen to this point that 100% no questions asked. He is the guy that gives us the best chance to win. And until our coaches feel like that's the case, I think you have to stick with the quarterback pecking order as it played itself out during fall camp. Now, easton pro- has got to produce in games. I know he's hes done well in practice situations since last season, but he's got to translate that onto the field. And people want to judge him for, what was it, eight plays against Appalachian State? I, I don't want to hear any of that. That's ridiculous. It's eight plays or whatever it was, a, sh- a small amount of plays. Um... Let's get the guy in there and see what he can do. See if he can produce with some serious playing time, and then, then if he can't, and you want to go back and see you know what Fromm performed better when he was in there, then okay, maybe. But still, you want to stay away from the quarterback controversy. That's that is poisonous to a locker room, especially for a team that's trying to win a championship here. So, I think I'm gonna lean Eason. Although you guys know I love Fromm, I think long term he's gonna be a great player for us. Uh, but I think Eason might be the better. You know, he's gonna give us a better chance to win right now. Uh, all right, let's move on to question number four. This is Alex from Twitter. Thank you for the question, Alex. Alex asks, uh, do you think our defense becomes better with the addition of Malcolm Parrish? Aaron Davis has played that corner spot pretty well. And Jesse from Twitter has similar question, so I'm going to kind of throw both your questions here at the same time. Jesse uh, asks, is Malcolm Parrish the odd man out in the secondary when he gets healthy? If not, who is? So thank you, Alex. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate the Malcolm Parrish question here. I think this is a very interesting question. Because um, this is something our coaches are going to have to answer. You know they're thinking about this right now. I love the link that Aaron Davis gives us on the outside. And DeAndre Baker's been playing very well out there. And what they, again, what they did against those Notre Dame my receivers, who I will still maintain are very, very good players. What they were able to do in shutting, essentially shutting them down, that was highly impressive Impressive to me. They really showed me something there. and I think Davis' link does give us something that well, let's just be real, Parrish cannot give us. Uh, but let's look at the, that secondary. Okay, because Davis is versatile. He can play Star, he can play corner, he can play safety, he can play all those positions. I'm gonna start this out by looking at the guys that I think are untouchable that are not going to move in that secondary. I think I think J.R. Reed has to this point showed me that he's not coming off the field. That dude can play. Dominic Sanders is a four-year starter is not coming off the field. And I don't know if DeAndre Baker at this point is somebody who's going to be coming off the field. I really think those three guys' jobs are probably safe. Now, Aaron Davis, I also think he's probably safe. He's going to play somewhere because he's so versatile, and he's probably the best fit at star with his size. If everyone's healthy, I think he's probably the best fit for us there with his size until maybe D'Angelo Gibbs is ready to really be a contributor. But to me, it comes down to this question. What, what, uh, What situation do you like better? Do you like Parrish at cornerback and Aaron Davis at star better? Or do you prefer Aaron Davis at cornerback and then Tyree McGee at star? Because McGee's been playing that star, or at least he did it against uh, Notre Dame when Davis was at corner. he had LeCount in there quite a bit. Too, well, you have LeCount. And LeCount's coming in not not so much at star. LeCount's playing primarily safety. No,
1: LeCount was at safety and Reed was in at star when they would bring, when they would bring. LeCount yeah, when we
0: go in for safety. the dime packages, when we go in for the dime yeah. packages, yeah. Reed would Reed would go from right. safety to star, right? Right, and those and that in that one specific package, so. That's the question you have to ask And, and, and you're right, you have to bring Richard LeCount to the equation Do you still want to keep Richard LeCount on the field? I I think yes uh, But for, for me, I don't I don't know Who is the odd man out here? I really think that Davis is going to have a spot on the field Do you agree with that? Yeah I think Davis somewhere with that star, corner, safety He's going to be on the field I think Dominic Sanders is going to be on the field Are you with me on that? Yeah J.R. Reed. I don't think he comes off, does he? No What about Baker? Are you with me as much on that one?
1: Yeah, I am. I mean, the, the thing I'm really on is that right now I can see LeCount being on man out for the time. That's exactly
0: eight. who I have, yeah.
1: Um, but the thing, the problem with that is is I think they'll give Parrish the opportunity to, get, to be back in his position. But we have shown that if he struggles, if we play a team with bigger receivers, then you're going to have to go with Davis- at corner because his his reach just plays better to what you're seeing these teams go to bigger receivers.
0: Yeah. I mean, Parrish is and a two-year starter, well, I essentially.
1: Him. Yeah, I, I do respect Parrish. You know, I've been hard on him, but I respect him. He plays hard. He does a lot. Of, he does things the right way. Yeah, but underrated it comes leader. Down to it, well, you are going to give him the opportunity. But if he struggles, like, you know, like, he has at times against bigger receivers, then I do believe that we have to... Um, do it, but the thing also is that Aaron Davis, in my opinion, is not as good as a safety as J.R. Reed has shown himself to be. No, no, R. he's R. not.
0: J.R. Reed is a up. stud.
1: Yeah, J.R. Reed is better at coming in and making the tackle, So Davis is kind of also an odd man out at the same time because he would be relegated.
0: to So more you or less would take J.R. Reed over Davis? No, I wouldn't. It, or
1: I, I would take J.R. Reed over him at the safety position because he's better at coming up and make at the line making the. But not at star. Yeah, kind of like what I see, with, what I can see happening is what's kind of going on right now, where J.R. Reed's still a safety when they're in that look. But if they go to diamond nickel, then J.R. Reed goes down to star, and Davis comes into that safety position where Reed. Well, still Davis comes plays that like
0: that. Division. Basically, he he takes over for nature's. it becomes that kind of box safety. Yeah, and, kind and of guy. he's
1: still at the line of scrimmage, like you're
0: seeing him do right. now. So yeah. I, it'll it'll be LeCount and Davis, in my opinion,
1: who. LeCount, definitely the odd man out, but Davis will be seeing less playing time. But to me, I think that's dangerous because LeCount is getting better. He has attributes that some of these other guys don't.
0: LeCount is, oh my god, dude. The athleticism on that guy... Come, I mean you. His
1: closing ability is it's, it's absurd. His ability to close on
0: video. his ability to close on runners, his ability to close on receivers is absurd.
1: That that last play where he yep. he broke up the
0: pass. Yeah, in that, the, for, late the fourth quarter, in, in that late here. in that late drive, that was huge. And he came, and I was. I mean, I was at the game, but watching the replay a couple times. He was not in the frame, that ball. So when the ball is thrown on TV copy, you're like, oh my God, it's a completion. And here comes the count out of nowhere. until you
1: watch it on TV. Like you said, he's he's nowhere. You don't see him. He's not even in the frame. He pops up out of nowhere.
0: It's unbelievable. So, I mean, yeah, and that's the thing for me. It's like, I know he's inexperienced and he's going to make mistakes out there and probably blow some coverages. Kirby, he's got a lot to work on, but the pure talent and athleticism that he brings to the table is unmatched in our secondary. He's clearly the most athletic, most talented player in our secondary right now who's seeing some time. So it's really hard for me to say, yeah, well, it counts him to be odd man out. But at this point, I mean – all right, so if we go to the dime package, okay? So you, you, we've seen J.R. Reed move up into the, into the uh, star position in those settings. Uh, well, and, well, he, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes he stay deep. It just depends. It's weird. They've, they've been trying different guys in different spots. But I have seen him up there in that setting. Dom, um, when Davis was out in the first game, Dom was moving up into the Nature's Patrick box safety role there next to, next to Roquan. Um, and then you had LeCount come in at safety. And uh, you had Tyree McGee coming in. All, Tyree McGee was playing corner over there. So it's just very interesting to see how we're going to mix and match here. I guess if I had to say right now, if Parrish is healthy – you got Parrish and Baker at corners in the dime package, right? You got Dom. It's probably going to stay deep at safety. Uh, I w- I could see a scenario. Here's what I would like to see. In those situations, I would like to see Dom and and Jr. Reed stay. Both of them stay at safety. Then you've got Davis. Or or you could do this. You could bring you could bring Davis in at at the kind of box safety linebacker type position. Put J.R. Reed up in the um, at, at star. And then you could you could still bring LeCount in at safety in those situations, could you not? Have him have LeCount and Don back there at safety? I think that's a way to keep him on the field. He won't see as much time, but I think it's a way to potentially at least keep him on the field in certain situations. But it will be very interesting to see how that plays out. So if I had to pick one person who's the odd man out, it's probably LeCount. Although I'm not sure I feel great about that because I want the guy on the field as much as possible. I want him to get as much experience as he can because I think the more time he sees, the better he's going to get. and The quicker he's ready to be a a big-time player for us, the better our secondary is going to be, no doubt about it. But it will be very interesting to see how it plays out because there's a lot of moving pieces there. A lot of different guys who have versatility. That's what Kirby wants. He wants versatility in his DBs, guys that can play safety and corner. And we're starting to get to that point. So I'm very curious, uh, once Parrish does get back, what does our secondary look like? But if I had to guess, Gold Count might be the odd man out. All right, question number six here, Tim from Twitter. Thanks for the question, Tim. Uh, Tim asks, uh, he says, Pittman can recruit – but can we trust him to get the offensive line right? Fair question, Tim. Fair question. Offensive line, I think, is improved, but still underperforming um, versus what we want them to be doing. I'll, I'll say this. Look, when you're we know Pittman can recruit. You're exactly right. But when you're talking about can we trust him to get the offensive line right, you have to consider what the man is working with, okay? In my, in my view here, we have two different types of linemen. We have experienced players with marginal talent, and then we have highly talented players who— with essentially no experience, there's very little overlap there. Ideally, of course, you want experience guys who have some experience and talent. We don't have a ton of. There's not the overlap of talent and experience at this point. You have experience or you have talent. You don't see a ton of guys with a lot of both. So that's a very tough situation to work with. You got to make a lot of tough decisions. Do we go to the guys that are more talented, or the guys that are more experienced, and trying to find the best fit there. I think we can absolutely trust him. I don't know if it's going to be completely right this year because a lot of our most talented guys are very, very young and very, very inexperienced. And I don't think they're quite ready to make a major contribution. The guys like Wilson and Torrey Johnson and Schaefer, we talked about them earlier. But I think by the time, this time next year, I think he will have that offensive line humming. Those young guys will be ready. You hopefully, we'll add in guys like Jamari Sellier, Trey Hill, and, uh, and Warren Erickson, some guys like that. But, uh, yeah, I know. Right now, it's not. It's still not to where we want it to be. And I get the frustration. I do. But again, you have to consider what he's working with here. I think give him time, and he will get the offensive line right. Now, if we look, if we're looking at mid mid season next year, and it's still the same old story, then let's reevaluate. But I, I think you do at this point still consider what he's working with. So, Kerr, are you buying or selling that? Oh, I'm buying it. I mean,
1: not. Not against this guy in particular, asked the question, but I've seen a lot of people questioning of how he's a good recruiter, but he can't coach, can't develop players, and all I can do is laugh at these people. I mean, look what he's working with. We haven't landed a five stars since John Theus at the offensive line position. Um, you know, right now Isaiah wins until our best Alaska, guy, yeah. and he until yeah until Pittman came in and Lance Wilson, but the Wilson Win is our best lineman, and 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 to be honest, he's very undersized. he's our best lineman I mean
0: and and Pittman's actually getting a a good bit more than anyone's ever gotten out of Win to this point I know you can say he's a senior now but he's just
1: bouncing around really for a lot of the time and you know we're finally letting him settle at left tackle but I mean look his center was, was recruited to Georgia as a defensive lineman
0: yeah
1: um and then you got to look at what he's getting out of some of these guys. I mean, you got Dyson Sims
0: it. being forced to play a lot of times. You got an injury to Solomon Kinley, who you were kind of yeah, counting I mean, on. I
1: look at Kinley, the guy who's held the position since January. No one was recruiting in Georgia. wasn't going to offer him. And Pittman comes and gets him in the last month that he was on camp. That he yep. the, of the, that first recruiting cycle. Yeah. Um. You know, see, that's the thing. Like he's doing a lot with very little what he's got. I mean, Kendall Baker has been a nobody until now. When he finally got him in at a guard position. I mean, get. I mean, he really is doing a lot with what he's got. And I think you have to. I mean, and to be honest, you look at his track record. I mean, look at Arkansas. They had had a very strong offensive line while he was there. Now look at their team this
0: year. I don't know who's watched them, but their terrible. Offensive
1: liners, it, they're terrible. That game
0: against invisible. TCU they was get Allen ridiculous. Killed
1: every single game. Yeah,
0: it's it's scary for for Allen Bat there quarterback with Arkansas. No, I you're one hundred percent right. That's what
1: I'm saying. I mean, you've and like all these coaches. You know, you say, oh, well, he's good because he's got five stars. Well, isn't any coach good when they have good players?
0: Yeah, uh, um, that's kind of how it works. Good, the, that, let's that, be real: the best really coaches get works. the best I mean, players. Georgia, for so long, we got
1: by with such little talent. And then the thing is, especially in SEC, a lot of players, a lot of teams started loading up on the line of scrimmage because that was the only ways to beat teams like Bama and some of these other teams that were power that were the, you know, the team to beat at the time. So now when they start focusing on their defensive line and other things, we've got behind the eight ball.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, and on. that's
1: why you, I mean, look at Andrew Thomas, the guy's, uh, you know, he has his ups and downs, but he's a freshman and the kid is, he's developing him. Um, You know, a lot of these kids, like we talk about Wilson, who had the size and strength to do it, but he's more of a brawler. He was, he was just
0: raw. I mean, he was someone who could just run over people. Like they said, he couldn't even really practice because he had hurt his own Yeah, he made. got by, let's be real. In, in New York high school football, Isaiah Wilson got by with just being bigger, badder, and stronger than everyone else and just mauling people. You can't do that in the SEC. He's physically ready to compete right now, but you have to have more than just being big and strong. Everyone yeah, else is exactly. big and strong. exactly. It's
1: just like Ben Cleveland. I mean, I know people, we all want to see something of like Cleveland. But he was so raw too. I mean, first off, we get him out of so high school. He
0: raw. Played mostly defensive line at
1: uh, Stevens um, County. Yeah, um, there. And then the thing is, when he gets here, nothing against him. But Rob Sale was not
0: a good first year coach to get the coach this guy under. Yeah, that was a. That was a. Yeah. Well, he wasn't so we here probably. with Rob Sale. Last year was his freshman year, right?
1: Well, yeah, but I'm saying who, who we recruit him. Recruiting and all him, of right. sudden So Sale recruits him, we right. We have right. this super raw kid who played defensive line this whole time. Yeah. I mean, a lot yeah. of these people just have unrealistic expectations. Like you like you hear, yeah, we hired this big-time coach. You're not going to see things right away, but I have to say last year as bad our offensive line was, you're seeing a jump from some of these guys, and you're two under him
0: compared to year one. Yeah, Galliers. I know he's playing a different position, but he's. I think he's playing better than he was last year. Isaiah Win, in my mind, again playing a different position, Isaiah but clearly playing better than he was. A lot better. There was, yeah. if you watch the
1: game, there were times where he was really driving kids, actually yeah, driving. I'm,
0: I've actually been really impressed with Win. I, I mean, I want to backtrack and some and things i said about and him. And that's him in how the past. you
1: can really judge a coach is the jump the players make from year one to year two under them. I mean, Yeah, you he hear can that say, well, they they're, they're a year,
0: year older. Baby. Okay, getting older doesn't mean you're going to get better. You have to have someone that helps you get yeah, better. Yeah,
1: how many times have you seen seniors and fifth-year seniors that are still nobodies on the team? It's because it's his second year. I mean, the first time, especially like you only have so much time with these kids. You can only uh the first lead. spring and fall practices to work on you know, fundamentals trying to do things. Well, you can only fix so much in
0: a certain period of time. It takes more than, you know, uh, twenty like hours a week, 30, all you 30 get. practices to fix everything. Yeah. Absolutely, man. I'm with you on that. All right, let's move on to the next one here. This is question number seven from Colton. Colton from email. Thank you, Colton. Uh, Colton asks, Who do you think is our best option in the slot? We have used Miko, Swift, Sony, Herian, and our tight ends there to this point. Uh, honestly, I'm going to start with the running backs here. I know a lot of people want to see us put you know Sony and Herian and Swift in the slot here. Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of putting running backs in the slot because here's why, guys. I don't think the running backs are better at that position than a true slot wide receiver is. If they were, they would be there full time. If you're a running back, you simply don't get as many reps at wide receiver in practice as a true wide receiver does. I'm not saying they can't do it. They clearly can. Sony can do it. Harry and Sonny can do it. Swift, Sonny can do it. But Everything they can do in the slot, so can Mecole, so can Akil Crumpton, so can Terry Godwin, or any other wide receiver you play in the slot. So for me, where, I will say, where, you, you can put a running back in the slot and it be effective, but you have to consider what you're running. Where, to me, where using a running back in the slot becomes effective is when you use motion and formations, tempo to create mismatches and confusion on the part of the defense and get them out of position. But just going out there and just saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to put DeAndre So if he's, he's going to play slot 20 times this game. Well, okay, that's fine if, if he's practicing with the slot wide receivers. But if he's spending the majority of his time with the running backs and getting reps running the football, I don't know if that's a better option for us than putting a guy like Miko Hardman or Akil Crumpton or Terry Godwin, whoever it might be. Because that's what those guys do. Uh, so, I mean, there's times you can do it and there's certain looks you want to give out there. Uh, if you want to have a guy line up in the, in the backfield and then motion off to the slot to create a, get, to get a mismatch on a linebacker I'm all for that that's great football coaching but just to say you know what I'm gonna put Sony in the slot and just let him play there Is that really the best option we have there he can do it and he can be effective there but do we not have guys that are more equipped to handle that position So are you buying or selling that kurt
1: oh I buy that 100 percent like you said I mean you'll see like even the reporters talk about when they get their 10 minutes of viewing, I mean, you'll see the running backs go over there for maybe a period or two, but the rest of the time they have that's to.
0: Be it. Making. You only have literally you have twenty hours a week to work with these guys, and if you're a running back, you're going to spend the majority of that time doing running back things. You might, like you said, might go over for a period or two here and there and practice to get some work in the slot, but that's not what you're doing. Uh, practice in, practice out, session in, session out. That's not happening. Or period in, period out. Though for the wide receivers, though it is. So there's there's times to do it where it can be effective in certain situations. But as a rule, put actual wide receivers in the slot. Or tight ends. I'm cool with, with Nauta going out there, Warner, guys like that. But uh, – because th- that's what those guys do. But uh, this whole let's put Swift, Sony, Harry out there all the time, I don't know about that. I, I don't know. I think there's situations where, it's, where it works great when you want to get a certain matchup on somebody. But not as a rule. Uh, man, you got to disagree with me sometime. Man, you're buying everything here. Maybe I'm just that smart. I mean, um, you're
1: kind of talking with some sense today.
0: Parker. Today? Dude, all right, man. That's good to know. So I'm – According to my wife, I have very little common sense, so it's good to hear some positive talk from somebody. So thanks, man. All right, next question, number eight. Got Jamie from Twitter. Interesting question here. All these questions are interesting, but this one's one's a good one. Do you think we are holding Chubb back for SEC play? When he's running, it looks to me like he's 100%, but he's still not getting as many carries as he has in the past. Oh, man, this is a delicate subject for me, man, because we all love Nick Chubb. We love him. I love him. I mean, the guy's a warrior. He's a beast. I mean, he's no matter what happens from here on out, the guy will be a legend just for who he is, the, the person he is, the player he's he's been, the things he's done on the field, off the field, the leader. Just, I can't say enough positive things about Nick Chubb. But asking, are we are we hold, are we we not running him as much in the first two weeks because we're trying to hold him back for SEC play? I, I just don't buy that at all, man. I don't think that's really the case. I mean, that Notre Dame game was huge, guys. We all know that. Kirby wanted that game. And Chubb got, what, 14 carries? or so 13 or 14 carries? I, mean, I think 13. Him and Sonny both. Yeah, 13 carries. So, I look, we wanted to win that game. And if it, it if win that game, Nick Chubb carrying 25, 30 times, we would have done it. So I don't think that we're, we said, you know what, we're not going to run Nick Chubb more than 13 times this game because we're going to save him for SEC play. I just don't think that's a thought process going through the coach's mind. They want to win every single game. And look, the guy's over a year removed from injury, so I don't think that's really a thought in their mind right now. To me, it's just as simple as this: we like Chubb, obviously. How could you not? But our coaches also like Sony a lot too, and he's going to get his touches with with good reason. And I'll, I'll, I'm I'm going to be honest with you on this: I think Sony, since Nick's injury, I think Sony has closed the gap on Nick. I I really I, do. Yeah. I really do. I and this
1: all the time. Yeah,
0: and, we, and when, we, when, we, when we want to go to those more spread sets that Fromm is clearly more comfortable with right now and run some RPOs, because you can't really run RPOs from under center. You just can't do it. At least I haven't seen somebody really, or any team really do that. So if we want to run some of those things, you're going to run them from the gun and Sony's just a more effective back, and from those looks. Now, if you yeah, want to get see, downhill, you know. then then your – If you want to put a fullback in the game, get downhill, have an H back in there, get under center, then Chubb all day long. But I just think Sony's more effective when you spread the ball or you exactly. spread the That's field. I gotta, I gotta
1: definitely buy that with you. I mean, just like that touchdown run Sonny's or touchdown run Sony had. Yeah. I hate to say it, but there's times where we try to run things like that with Nick. But he doesn't get through the hole initially as quick as Sony does, or does, and that's what happened. I mean, there's times last year where we would try to Roman Nick, and he just the hole would close up before he was there because he just was a little bit slower. And Sony has that quicker burst, and um, I think you saw that in that, like I said, in that Notre Dame game, that touchdown run. I don't know if Nick scores on that play where Sony gets through the hole almost untouched.
0: And I want to bring you another play in the equation here. Here's one thing I think I would like to see Nick getting back to. He used to do this his freshman year, his sophomore year before he got hurt at Tennessee. He needs to get back to winning one-on-one matchups in space. There was a play in the first quarter that big run he had yeah, in the first quarter, the right? First, his very first run down the left field, right. the left side of the field, right. And it, it, it was a big play, right? It was a 25, 30 thirty-yard game, big game, right? That play, the old Nick Chubb, I'm one hundred percent convinced would have made that guy either made that guy miss stiff arm and whatever he would have or broken just run, right him. run right through. Run right through. He would. He exactly. He would have won that one-on-one matchup. Doesn't, the doesn't old Nick Chubb. He never came down on tackles where they would just grab his legs. Ever. Remember the Louisville game, the bowl game Is Louisville? He was running right through arm tackles like that. Over. He was cutting, making great cuts with his vision, then running through arm tackles. But he went down, okay? The old Nick Chubb would not have done that. He would have won that one-on-one battle, which would have been a touchdown, okay? It would have been. And it was still a big play and a good play. But he... He, I still will say he's not he, he at least he hasn't shown it yet where he's as effective as he was his freshman year in the first half of that sophomore year before the injury. He's got to get back to winning those one-on-one battles in that in a very similar setting. Remember the TCU bowl game last year right before the half, it wasn't a run, it was a little screen pass to Sony, but it's still on the sideline like that. Sony could have gone down, okay, like Nick did in that in that setting against Notre Dame. But he Broke a tackle, put a juke on a couple guys, and then bowled his way in the end zone for a touchdown. That kind of changed that game, kind of put us in the striking distance there in a really good position going in the second half. Whereas if Nick is in that same situation, I'm not sure right now I have confidence of saying Nick would have broken those tackles and won those one-on-one matchups. I'm not saying he can't do it. He broke some tackles and won some of those matchups against Appalachian State. But he's still not doing it as consistently as we saw him do it early in his career. Early in his career, it was never a question. You get Nick Chubb one on one with somebody in the open field, game over. He's taken to the house. But I don't know if you can say that right now about Chubb. I think you can say it more so about Sony than you can about Nick. Is that, I mean, you're with me on that. Yeah. And I, I hate saying that, guys. I love Nick Chubb, man. I mean, the dude is an unreal player and an unreal human being. One of my, maybe my favorite Georgia player of all time. I love him, but. We need him to get back to being the old Nate Chubb, where he's in those one-on-one matchups in space. He is winning them. He's got to win them consistently. He's got to. That's what we. That's what we need from him. He's just not doing it consistently right now. All right. Uh, next question, number nine from Zach. Zach from Twitter. Appreciate the question, Zach. All right. Zach says, through two games, what has surprised you most about this team, either good or bad? That's a cool question. So appreciate it, Zach. Uh, I'm thinking about this one for a minute. Uh, I wanted to just say J.R. Reed first off, but then I thought about it a little bit more, and a little more of a general answer here. I would say the thing that surprised me most about this team, and it's a good thing, is the disruptive play by our defense, particularly our front seven. Just being disruptive. And what I mean by that is getting in the backfield, uh, creating havoc in the situation tackles for loss, uh, affecting the quarterback, whether it's a sack or a pressure or a hurry, whatever it is, but just being disruptive. We have not been disruptive like that in years. And, I knew that our defense would be good, and I hoped that we, I hoped that we would be, we, we would be more disruptive this year. But I wasn't sure how much of a jump we would actually see. But let me give you a stat here, guys. Uh, we had we had 62 total tackles for loss last season through 13 games. 62 tackles for loss total last season. Well, in in two games this year, we already have 16. That puts us on pace for 104 tackles for loss last year. I'm not saying we're going to get to 104, but that's the pace that we're on right now versus 62 total last season through 13 games. That right there shows you how much more disruptive we've been in the early part of this season. If that continues, whoo, man, uh, this defense is going to be legit all year long, and we're going to be in Atlanta come the first weekend of December. It's just That's just reality. So, Kerr, are you buying that, or are you going to go a different direction?
1: Yeah, I'm Definitely gonna buy that. I think the defense has been, you know, I, I said all year, or you know, I can see around twelve area, but they're actually playing a lot better defensively.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I know you can say, well, it's Appalachian State, and, okay, Notre Dame. How good is Notre Dame, guys? Those are two pretty good offensive football teams. Okay, and they have some, they have issues and deficiencies in some areas, but those are two pretty good defense, pretty good offenses. And Notre Dame, honestly, I'm not gonna sit here and say they will 100 percent the best offense we play all year, but they'll be one of the top three offenses we play this year. Maybe Auburn's up there, maybe South Carolina, maybe Missouri's up there. But they'll be one of the top three or four offenses we play all year, and our defense played lights out. They just played lights out, and they were disruptive all night long. That disruption won us the game with that final sack. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'd go with this one. All right, uh, number 10. I think I bet you're going to agree with this one. Reggie, one of our loyal listeners from Twitter. Appreciate it, Reggie. Says, in your opinion, who is the most surprising player so far this year? Easy for me, J.R. Reed, 100%. You're buying or selling?
1: Um, I'll probably buy it. I mean, there's been other players that play well, but he's definitely been the best. Right, if
0: you had to pick someone else besides J.R. Reed, where would you go?
1: Uh, other than J.R. Reed, uh, probably Swift.
0: Swift's been really good. What about like Lorenzo? This the the step uh, he seems know, to take.
1: I actually, you know, I thought I was calling for him to have a pretty big year this year. I, mean, I was hoping. to say it, but him and Bellamy both have been playing really well. And the biggest reason in my mind
0: is it's the money year. I mean, it is literally their last literally year. So money, the money I don't think they had, I don't think they got a good response
1: last year to where they would have been drafted. And I think it's driven them that much more to finally actually see what, all the work they had done where it left them. And I don't think it, they were yeah. liked where it was.
0: Fair point. Yeah, I mean, I was I was very hopeful Lorenzo would have a big year. Him and Davin. Uh, I've been burned so many times, Lorenzo, that I wasn't necessarily counting on it. But he's, they both have clearly made some big strides in the offseason and have exploded in the first couple of games of the year here. All right, question number 11, Gary from email. Thank you for the question, Gary. Uh, we had a couple people ask similar questions about Jim Chaney. We kind of touched on this with our recap show of the Notre Dame game, uh, but we'll talk, touch on it a little bit more here today in this show. Uh, and Gary asks, is Chaney a long-term answer at offensive coordinator? Can we win a title of any sort with him calling the shots on offense? All right, fair question, fair question. First off, I'll say that. It's a fair question. But here's how I would answer it. I don't know. <laughs> I think the jury is still out. I know you wanted to hear me definitively say something one way or the other, but I think the jury is still out. The quarterback situation last year and the quarterback situation to this point this year with Easton going down and another true freshman in the game, it makes it a very difficult read. It makes it a very difficult question for me to answer because he was working with a true freshman quarterback all last year. So far, outside of the first, what, what was it, eight plays, I think, again, uh, against, against Appalachia State, he's working with a true freshman quarterback again this year, which he was not expecting to be doing. So I think that makes it a very difficult thing to read. I will say this about Chaney, although I'm not definitively ready to say one thing one way or the other. I think there's, there's, there's uh, valid criticisms, and I think there's also valid reasons to support him as well. But I do think the criticism of him is, has gone overboard, especially when it comes to him being too predictable or not creative yeah, I think enough. think It's come to the point where people just—they are. It's just a popular the thing ball. to do, like the like the you know the whole Bobo thing. You know how Bobo is a terrible quarterback. Run the ball, Bobo. You know all that stuff. I mean, you that was ridiculous. Bobo was—he put up the best offenses in Georgia football history. And I know modern football is a little different than the past, but to criticize him for calling plays is just crazy. You can you can criticize any play call. No play calls is going to call a perfect game. It's never going to happen. So you can criticize individual play calls, but when you take it in its totality. I think the criticism of Chaney being predictable or not creative enough, I think that's way overblown. I mean, look at what – we're implementing way more RPOs than we did – than we have in the past. We did some last year. I've seen way more this year. I mean, that entire first series, really the first two series against Notre Dame were almost entirely RPOs. All those quick throws that Fromm's getting out, those are RPOs, guys. Almost all of them are RPOs. Uh, The wild dog, which I know has not been as successful as we would like, I've been on record saying I'd like to see some change to that. But still, he's trying to do different things, uh, putting multiple tailbacks in the game at one time, putting them in motion, doing different things to kind of be deceptive with defenses. The run-blocking schemes, which don't get talked about because most people don't really watch it with that type of fine-tooth comb. But guys, the run-blocking schemes that we utilize are insane. Okay, we we do, we do things that a lot of teams just don't do. We have a, a great diversity of, of schemes and how we block for our running game. We threw a lo- we threw a ton on first down against Notre Dame. Uh, we're finding ways to get the balls in, in playmakers' hands. Guys like Miko Harman, DeAndre Swift. We're trying to find ways to get the ball in these guys' hands. Is he perfect? No. Is every play he call the best decision? No. There, there are times where I'm scratching my head, like, what are you doing there? But guys. I, I think when you say he's too predictable, I don't buy that at all. I, I don't think that he is a predictable play caller. I, I, I don't see much evidence of that. Uh, and not creative enough? I, okay, what does creative mean? Are, by creative, are you saying that you want us to start running the air raid offense? Is, is that is that what it means to be creative? Because we're doing RPOs. We're running the wild off. We're putting multiple running backs in the game. Run blocking schemes are being changed up. Throwing on first down. I, just, I don't know what people want from him. I know we want our offense to be better. I get that. So do I. But I think a lot of that is still a function of inexperienced at quarterback. He had a true freshman all last year and a true freshman essentially for the first two games this year. It's hard to work with. It's hard to work with. So are you buying or selling that, Kurt? I'm
1: not buying it. I think the biggest thing is, I mean, I think the hate, like you said, is just, or you know, the disagreement with him has just gone too far. Like you said, it's the easy person to blame. Um, so it doesn't matter really what he could do. I mean, he could draw up the best play ever and there wouldn't be great execution or it would work and people would still say, oh, he got lucky. I mean, it doesn't matter what he does. But at the same time, when it comes to winning championships and things like that, I do have to say, I mean, I've seen a lot worse people win championships yeah. as as the coordinators. Yes. I mean, at Matt offensive offense, a genius, but he, I mean, supposedly, Seriously? and they won some under him. And I mean, you know, he's done nothing to impress.
0: Yeah, people. Doug Musmeyer, the same thing when he was uh, Alabama under Saban. And look, guys,
1: I mean, even the, even the Kiffin. I mean, I know Kiffin is actually, I think, he's a really good OC. He is really good the OC. He yeah, had Toker. He was really handicapped.
0: Yeah. That's true. Hey, look. Uh, one more thing about change. Uh, this I know Notre Dame is just one isolated game. Look, I know we only scored 20 points a game. We easily could have scored two or three more touchdowns. We probably should have scored two or three more touchdowns. I mean, how many times will we score
1: more if our receivers would catch the ball and sometimes we hit
0: them? How many more gosh? touchdowns will we score? Yeah, if, they, if the receivers catch the ball when it's in their hands and the quarterback puts the ball on the receivers when they're open. Okay, so you had, obviously you had Meikle, probably a touchdown, or if not a touchdown, puts us right on the two or three-yard line there if he just catches the freaking football. You had Javon Wims who dropped a touchdown pass, although Terry did bail him out in the next play. Uh, you have Jake that missed a wide-open Terry Godwin in the game. You have Jake I that... The one to NADA. Yeah, the one to NADA absolutely was a little ahead of him out there. If you execute, that's a touchdown. He had one that he put that... Nicole probably could have run under the ball or, or laid out for it, but again, Jake was about a half-step in front of him. If you hit that pass, it's a touchdown, okay? We easily could have scored 35-plus points in that game. Easily. Very easily. But we didn't. And Now, so you, can, you can blame that on Chaney, but the fact is he dialed up plays so that they were executed properly are touchdowns, okay? He did that last year, too. I cannot tell you how many times over the course of summer I was watching all those games over and over again from last year, every single game, how many times he dialed up beautiful plays that were easy layups, that either a receiver dropped, like Jason standing against Ole Miss, or Easton just flat out missed somebody, like against uh, South Carolina, against Kentucky, against, well, in, in almost every game. But they were there. The players just simply did not execute. Now, you can criticize Cheney, the offensive coaches, for not getting them to execute properly, but... In terms of play calling, he's he's giving our guys a chance. At some point, they've got to start hitting these balls. And when they do, I think people are going to have a very different opinion about Jim Cheney. Again, I'm not ready to say one way or the other. But I, right now, I think the criticism, like I said, has gone overboard. And it's a little unfair if you really, really, really watch it closely. Uh, all right, last question here. Then we'll get into our picks of the week. Uh, Jonathan from Twitter. Jonathan is also one of our very loyal listeners. So, Jonathan, we appreciate it, man. Uh, John, this says, what is your opinion on Mark Webb switching to defense? Does it say more about his versatility or the lack of freshman DB stepping up? Uh, I guess, can I say it's a little bit of both? I think it's more of a reflection, honestly, of our DB depth after this year. I don't even think it's that our coaches don't have faith in the freshman DB is not stepping up right now. I think it's that we just look at our roster right now and say, oh, okay, we're losing Aaron Davis next year. We're losing Malcolm Paris. We're losing Dominic Sanders. We're losing all those guys for sure. So that leaves us with a big, several different holes to fill, and we need as many guys over there as possible to try to replace those guys. So right now, I mean, we got basically our entire two deep is, is true freshmen. So if you think that Mark Webb is a guy that can contribute over there, and it's, Kirby seems pretty hot, if you listen to this press conference, he feels like he's got a chance to be a pretty good player back there. Uh, it makes sense because we only have one senior wide receiver right now. Okay, Javon Williams is the only guy that's for sure leaving. We just simply have more depth at wide receiver, so he has a clearer path to playing time at DB. So if you think he's a guy of all your receivers who has the best chance to contribute at DB, then sure, it makes sense. I will say, I always get really nervous, though, when we start moving guys around. I've seen it too many times and a guy never really finds a true home or we waste a year. Like, like you waste an entire year with Miko last year, right? Miko is clearly going to be a game changer for us on offense, but we waste an entire year trying to teach him to play defense last year. And I know that's some of that is, is its depth purposes and, all, and so on and so forth. But you go back years and years. Uh, Brandon Miller, big time recruit years and years ago, moved him around linebacker. Even Savin, Richard Samuel, linebacker, uh, running back. What's he going to be? And you never really. And even Malcolm, uh, Malcolm Mitchell, early in his career, or DB wide receiver. What's he going to be? There's a battle over him because he could have played either one. I mean, but and obviously Malcolm worked out really well. But a lot of these guys, when you pull them back and forth. It, it, it really stunts their growth. So, if we're going to put him at DB, I say just put his put his butt at DB and let him play there. I don't like this going back and forth. I do think it stunts your growth. So, Kurt, what's your opinion on that?
1: Oh, um, my agree. When it comes to why he did it, I mean, you got to think we have not a lot of depth there right now. And also the fact, I mean, you got Rashad Roundtree. He's, he's just probably disappeared. Yeah, he's.
0: I, I, is he still in the face of there somewhere? I'm not sure.
1: I don't know. So, I mean, with people like that, you have no. Like you said, you have no upperclassmen death or even depth in general at all at those positions. Yeah. Um I mean, so you've got enough, to do something. Um and also at the same time I think he's more of a team player than some of these other guys. I mean, pretty much Kirby said the guy the guy could have said, No coach wanna stay a wide receiver, but the uh, you know, Webb pretty much said, I'll do whatever it takes to play.
0: Yeah, and Kirby made sure to say it wasn't necessarily a permanent thing, but I'll just again say and we it. also
1: got to, like like you said, you don't know if it's permanent and at the same time. I don't know how many of those wide receivers that could have made the switch played DB in high school, where Well
0: Webb did. did. He played, yeah, he played corner in high school. That's that's another fair point. And then you also got a factor, and you got two fairly highly rated guys, a receiver coming this year, and Kyris Jackson, and um, and Elijah. Elijah. Yeah, I got Elijah Moore. You got them coming in, and then next year you got Jaden Hazelwood who. He might be the, if he was on our team right now. He might be the best receiver on the team right now, and he's only a junior in high school. And you got Dominic Dominic Blaylock's already committed as well. So I mean, we've got a lot of. In fact, we have so much depth at wide receiver that there are guys I think are really talented that that can't find the field. Like Jeremiah Holloman is a really talented player. He can't get on the field right now. Tyler Simmons I think is a guy that can help us. He's played a little bit, but not a ton. Akil Crumpton I think is a guy that can help us. But where does he play? Who do you, who do you take out? There's so much depth there that. If you have a guy that you think can help you at DB and he's cool with it, then it makes sense to move him. I, I, I totally get that. Uh, all right, so there you have it, guys. That was a listener mailbag. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Real quickly here, though, we do want to run through our picks of the week. Unfortunately, at least for me, Curtis did uh, best me last week to tie the weekly score at one to one. I won the first week, he won last week, so we are tied at one to one. Was that Stanford game? I took a flyer on Stanford. I knew I shouldn't have. It's all right, it's all right, it's fine, whatever. But this week, dude, I'm taking, I'm taking over again. So we got six games here. Uh, we're gonna start in the SEC with the Tennessee Volunteers heading down to Gainesville to take on the Gators. Kerr, how do you see this one playing out? See, the problem
1: is the biggest problem with this pick right now is you don't know who, if the players are still suspended or not,
0: and you don't know who's gonna play quarterback or if or they're gonna rotate. Yeah, no, the Florida, like, what's going on just there? A,
1: just a bunch of question marks. so I think I'm gonna go to Florida just the fact that they got that extra week off yeah you know they knew as soon as that game was canceled it was canceled they switched up to focusing on Tennessee
0: that's true so they could work in their in their to their advantage that way for sure but it also could be a detriment in that they they have still have so much uncertainty at quarterback that it, they really could have benefited from having some time to play against northern Colorado put both guys out there or maybe all three guys out there and see who played the best and get a feel, get into a rhythm heading into Tennessee. So, Because right now, I don't think they even know really who's going to be the guy at quarterback. They they probably know who they're going to start, but how's he going to perform? Who knows? What's the rhythm going to be like with the receivers? What's the rapport? I think they really could have benefited from that. So it's going to be interesting to see if the week off helps them, or if that's kind of a detriment due to the fact that it kind of just keeps the quarterback uncertainty still still kind of there, and it keeps that a question. But when healthy, and if they don't have all the suspensions, Florida's, I would still say probably a little more talented and experienced than Tennessee. Not by a ton, but a little bit. And they're at home. So for those reasons, I'm going to go Florida here. But that quarterback situation still, it's it's, it's its a hard one to read. Like you said, it's hard to read because you just don't know. The quarterback situation, would that be the most important position on the field? It's tough. It's tough. I will say Tennessee, You know, Quentin Dormady, he hasn't done much to really impress me all that much. So it's not like they're situated all that much better. They just kind of, I guess, know who their guy is at least. But I'm going to go Florida here. At home, a little bit more talent, going with the Gators. All right, a very interesting game, a game that I cannot wait to get home and watch. The LSU Tigers heading to Starkville, Mississippi, to take on our opponent in Week 4, the Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs. Kurt, how do you see this one playing out?
1: I think I'm going to go with LSU.
0: Yeah, I lean towards LSU also here. I mean, the fact that it's at Mississippi State and it's at night makes that pick a little troublesome for me. Uh, LSU, look, they shut down Nick Fitzgerald last year. Nick Fitzgerald was really good, but they held him to 50% passing, 120 yards passing, only 13 yards on 13 carries, Uh, and that was par for the course for Fitzgerald against the better defenses he faced last year. And and look, Nick Fitzgerald has been solid so far this year, but he still hasn't shown that he can do it against the big boys, at least not consistently. But that place will be jacked. And uh, LSU's offense, I still, man, I don't have a ton of confidence. In it. I think it's still very much a work in progress. I'm not a big fan of Danny Etling. But I think the Tigers are just a more talented team, and I think they're going to be able to at least, I'm not going to say sh- entirely shut down Fitzgerald, but at least contain him enough to win the football game. So I think the Tigers are going to pull this one out. All right, uh, next one here, Kentucky. The Wildcats are heading into Columbia to face Will Muschamp, South Carolina Gamecocks. How do you see this one?
1: I'm going to go South Carolina.
0: I think this one's a pretty easy pick. I really do. I mean, I think it's South Carolina, and I don't, I don't think – look, Kentucky's been terrible this year. Okay, they're 2-0. and Kentucky's 2-0. and They beat Southern Miss in week one. They beat Eastern Kentucky last week. But do you know how much they've outgained those first two opponents by? Probably 10 yards. Eight yards. Okay, Southern Miss and Eastern Kentucky. Kentucky's won both games, but it hasn't been easy. They've outgained those two opponents by a combined eight yards. Kentucky's not a good football team right now, and you, and USC or South Carolina, they are ahead of schedule on defense, although I'm not sure how great they are. A lot of people are really getting ahead of themselves talking about how great South Carolina's defense is and how much improved they are. They're still giving up 463 yards a game through the first two games, okay? So let's not sit here and North and the best defense in the league, or even close to it. And their offense is getting a lot of publicity, but that offense is only averaging 302 yards a game right now through two games. And Missouri's defense is not exactly stellar. And and I know that they got some hosses up front for NC State, but they they basically held South Carolina in check. South Carolina's really basically benefited from great special teams play. Debo Samuels returned two touchdowns, two kickoffs for touchdowns, and they've got some opportune turnovers that they have capitalized on. So they've won the games, to their credit. But it's not like they're just running through teams. But still, South Carolina has more weapons. It's their home opener at night. Sandstorm's going to be rolling the worst on the history of the world. So for those reasons, the Cox win. I'm with you. We we have agreed on like basically everything on this show, and I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I feel about that at all. All right, the next game here we've got. Let's see if we might get a little difference here. Kansas State heading to one of America's great cities, Nashville, Tennessee, to take on the Vanderbilt Commodores. Kurt, who's going to win this one? It's a tough I'll call
1: you Vanderbilt.
0: Dude, for real, I thought, I thought for sure we'd have a difference here. I thought you were going to take K-State for sure. All right, why Vandy?
1: Um, I just think they they play the same type of style, but I think their offense may be a little bit better.
0: Yeah, look, man, uh, saying the competition for Vanderbilt to this point in the season has been less than stellar, saying that would be an understatement. But still, quarterback Kyle Shermer has been surprisingly good to this point, even against lesser competition he's completed 77% of his passes for about 250 yards a game, seven touchdowns, no interceptions. I don't care who you're playing. Those are really good numbers, especially for a guy who has not been that efficient or good at all throughout his career. So it looks like he's taken another step, which is somewhat concerning to me. Uh, Jesse Ertz at Kansas State uh, as a quarterback is the perfect fit for that system. A guy who, they run a lot of quarterback powers and he's a big physical quarterback that just does exactly what they want him to do. It's kind of a death by a thousand paper cuts type offense is what I call them. Um, but, I'm with you. It's at home. I think it's a pretty evenly matched game. I think Kyle Shermer, the progress he's made this season to kind of match with Ralph Webb, who I think I still think Ralph Webb is one of the most overrated players in the country. But that matchup there, I think Vandy wins this game. I think it'll be a tight one. It'll be a fun game to watch. I think Vandy pulls this one out. An interesting game. The Ole Miss Rebels going cross-country to Cal Berkeley to face the Cal Bears. How do you see that one playing out?
1: Uh
0: a tough one Kyle's already yeah. went at UNC this year I'm still gonna go Ole Miss damn it dude I thought for sure you need to pick something different for me man just kidding it's all good it's all good it's all good you gotta be intellectually honest here gotta be honest uh, I'm with you man look talking about how good Kyle Schirmer's been this year he's been nothing compared to Shea Patterson Shea Patterson has been literally out of this world he's averaging 400 again I know competition's not great but 460 passing yards a game with 77% completion percentage, that's insanity. That's crazy. But he's been that good. And he's not even running the he, he came on the scene and was like, let's Johnny Menzel Jr. He's not even running the ball that much right now. He's not even really adding his legs to the equation right now. He's just throwing the ball over the park. So I think he's the difference in the game. Yes, Cal did go to North Carolina and win that game to open the season. But, guys, we've said this before. I'll say it again. Ole Miss cheated for a reason. They cheated to get good players, and they still have a lot of them on their team, especially on offense. So for that reason, uh, and really Shea Patterson alone is enough for me to go with Ole Miss, I'm going with the Rebels to pull this one out, or the Black Bears, whatever you want to call them. All right, let's see what you got on this one, man. Last one here, Clemson heading in to the Ville to take on the Louisville Cardinals and reigning Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson. Who's going to win this one? I think I'm
1: going to go Louisville.
0: Ah, okay. Why Louisville?
1: Um, I just I don't know how Clemson can get so high for two games in a row, especially going on the road this time.
0: That's a fair point, but I mean that's that's fair. But then this is the national champion, right? The reigning national champion—they're they're used to big games at this point. That's that's fair. They're used to big games,
1: but I think at the same time their offense
0: took a beating. I, I'm with you. I'm not sure how good Clemson. I know everyone's talking about how bad Auburn's offense was with 11 sacks they gave up, but how good is Clemson's offense really? I know Auburn's defense is pretty solid. Are you sold on Kelly Bryant at quarterback for Clemson? Oh, I think yes, he's a good player.
1: Really on offense.
0: I mean, he's a good player, but he's not Deshaun Watson. I mean, he's a little more mobile. No, I mean,
1: he's going to have to score a lot to keep up with Lamar Jackson. I know True. they have a great pass rush that they got after Auburn, but I it's don't. A different that Stidham is nowhere near as mobile as yeah. Lamar
0: Jackson. I mean, Stidham's functionally mobile, but he's he's not the most electric player in college football, which Lamar Jackson clearly is. One of the most electric players I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I'm not sold on the Clemson offense to 100. They have some really good wide receivers. Their running game, it, there's not much from the quarterback position. The running game right now is almost exclusively coming from the quarterback position. Uh, if a guy gets hurt, you don't know. Um, but they have a lot of good players, I will say, on, the, on that side of the football. Their defense, though, is absurd. The defensive line is it's Alabama level. It really is. Uh, You know those Dexter Lawrence Cleveland Farrell Those guys are absurd Christian Wilkins I mean they're just All across the board Those are really 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 good players And look I know that Lamar Jackson Won the Heisman last year And I I, Even though he won the Heisman I'm still not sure We appreciate just how good He's been You know I mean people know Yeah Lamar Jackson's great But I'm not sure We really appreciate Just how good this guy is And people write Louisville off In the Atlantic Division race Because of the competition Because you got Florida State, and you got Clemson in the same division, but Jackson's going to give them a chance in every single game they play, whether it's against Clemson, whether it's against Florida State. We saw it against Florida State last year, but I will say that I think Clemson is still pretty, outside of quarterback, Clemson is better pretty much everywhere else on the field, but great quarterback play can often be the equalizer, Uh, I will say that, but still saying that, Clemson's defense, in my opinion, is fast enough and talented enough to at least keep Jackson from running crazy wild on them. Jackson's going to get his, but I think they can. I don't want to say they're, gonna, they're not going to shut him down. I think they can contain him enough to keep him from running wild. And if Jackson doesn't run wild, they can't win. They're just not good enough at other positions. He's, he's got to do it all for them, like he did last week. And they still almost lost that game at North Carolina. So I'm going to go. It's like this our one difference, finally. I'm going Clemson here. All right, the last game here uh, Georgia versus Sanford. Kirk, I know we're going to win this game. I'm just. We're, I'm not even gonna take a prediction from you. We're gonna win this football game, but is there any fear of some sort of letdown after a big victory like we had it in South Bend? No. Yeah,
1: I. Maybe if you're playing someone other than
0: Sanford. We had something similar like this last year, though. Coming off the big win against North Carolina in the Dome to open the season, the Kirby Smart aired. you come home, you play Nichols, and it's just it's just lethargic, apathetic, and it's I mean at, at, all all the way around, and people just kind of just walking through the motions there. You don't see that happening again. No. You kind of learn from our less, learn from our mistakes last year. I agree with you. I mean, even if we did let down this case, a letdown in this case, in this scenario, that should mean that we win by like two or three touchdowns instead of maybe five or six. Uh, and you got to, guys. Uh, again, I'm not going to break down the Sanford team, but just to give you some context. They are two and in the season. They are two and o. Good for them. They beat they beat Kennesaw State 28 to 23 to open the season. And then last week they beat the. Uh, powerhouse west alabama 49 to 41 so look if we lose this game like i'm like i'm gonna go into hybridation i'm never coming out like I, it's over for me it's just done i just i don't see that happening and, and look i know chris hatcher is a guy kirby's got some connections with um back from his days at badasa state hatcher was the coach there kirby came up under him so we got his first job um, and they like to spread the field. They run a lot of RPOs. Kirby's playing up. They run the RPOs better than anybody I've seen, or just about anybody I've seen. And coach is gonna play that up. And Devlin Hodges is a solid quarterback. They're pretty balanced. They've so far in the season they've thrown the ball 71 times, run it 66. But look, guys, they, they I mean they don't belong in the same field as us. If we let them hang in this game, that's just like that's ridiculous. And it does not need to happen. We're gonna win this game going away. Uh, it's just a matter of how quickly we start pulling away. But, uh, yeah, we're going to win this game. Confidence level, I always do my confidence picks. I'm going to put this at a 10 and ho- hope to God. I'm going to knock on wood again. I'm probably completely screwing this over here. But even I'm so confident in this game that even as superstitious as I am saying those things, I still feel like we're going to win. All right, so that's it for today's show, guys. Make sure to check back in with us next week. Obviously, we have a big-time SEC matchup next week. Or at least we start the SEC slate. With the Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs rolling into town, if you made it out to the game this week or this weekend, I hope you guys enjoy. It. Have a great time. It's another night game. I know everyone loves these night games, man. But look, a game like this, I'm just gonna say this: a game like this does not need to be at night. Okay? Does I understand night games are a greater environment? But do we really need a great environment to beat Sanford? Do we really? i I know you love your night games, right? I know. I'm like an old man here. I'm not that old. Care less about this game. But like, does this game really need to be at night? Like, I get Notre Dame cool. Mississippi State, fine, whatever. Appalachian State, cool. Sanford, like I was kind of listening this being a noon game. Because I like to be able to go back, go to the bars, restaurants after the game, then go home and watch all the really good games on at night. Like, oh, I don't know, the team we're playing next week, LSU at Mississippi State. Oh, I don't know, Clemson at Louisville. I have to record all those games start watching them when I get home around 1030, which sucks because i got go to go bed late and just you know try to keep people like you from spoiling things for me so I'm not super thrilled as a night game but I know a lot of people like to do their tailgate thing so I hope everyone has fun off my soapbox but for Curtis I'm Tyler thanks for listening guys always appreciate it and as always go Dawgs